I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Welcome to Thoughts from the Hairy Head, a weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 61 of Thoughts from the Hairy Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the real American Revolution. So this week, I want to dig into a little bit of American history that isn't talked about a whole lot, but I think is extremely important, especially when it comes to understanding America's political system and the way America's government is supposed to work. And what I'm going to talk about today is the American Revolution. Now you're thinking, well, that's something that's talked about all the time, but not in the context that I want to look at it. It's interesting because John Adams described the American Revolution against the British not so much in terms of the war. He wrote a letter in 1818 to Hezekiah Niles, and this is what he said. He said, but what do we mean by the American Revolution? Do we mean the American War? The revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people, a change in their religious sentiments and their duties and obligations. This radical change in the principles, opinions, sentiments, and affections of the people was the real American Revolution. So really what Adams is saying here is that the revolution was already underway long before the first shot was fired. It wasn't just a revolution of guns. It was a revolution in thought. And it was a change in the way Americans perceived government and the way they perceived how government should operate. And really what it all comes down to is this concept of sovereignty. Who is sovereign? Who has the ultimate power in the political system? Now, under the British system, parliament was considered sovereign. Parliament could basically do no wrong. It was the ultimate authority. There was no distinction in British thought between the constitution or the frame of government and the system of laws that was laid down by parliament. They were one and the same. Every act of parliament was basically part of the constitution. And in the British mind, it was an absurdity to argue that an act of parliament could be unconstitutional. The legislative body was sovereign, and everything that it did, by definition, was constitutional. In fact, Parliamentary acts were considered to be part of the constitutional structure. Now, basically, what we had under the British system was this this idea of a living, breathing constitution. It was changed and molded by, uh, in their minds, the will of the people through parliament. 
But during the years leading up to the American Revolution, the colonists began to reject this concept of government. They came to believe that there must be something above government, a structure that anchors it in place. So in the American conception, they began to consider the idea of written constitutions, set constitutions that were not malleable by government institutions. Instead, they came to believe that government was limited and circumscribed by the constitutional framework. So in other words, constitutions were meant to be fixed above the government, government not altering the constitutions. A year after Parliament began passing the Townshend Acts in 1767, the Massachusetts legislature approved a document that was written by Sam Adams and James Otis Jr. that's known as the Massachusetts Circular Letter. And it expresses this revolutionary concept of government. Otis and Adams argued that when Parliament acts outside of its constitutional bounds, it destroys its own foundation. This is what they wrote. The House have humbly represented to the ministry their own sentiments that His Majesty's High Court of Parliament is the supreme legislative power over the whole empire, that in all free states the Constitution is fixed, and as the supreme legislative derives its power and authority from the Constitution, it cannot overleap the bounds of it without destroying its own foundation." that the Constitution ascertains and limits both sovereignty and allegiance, and therefore His Majesty's American subjects who acknowledge themselves bound by the ties of allegiance have an equitable claim to the full enjoyment of the fundamental rules of the British Constitution. So you see in this letter, all the way back in 1767, Americans were beginning to reject this idea of parliamentary sovereignty. They were saying that the Constitution is fixed and that its rules could not be molded by legislative authority. This all really gets down to this most fundamental concept of sovereignty. Sovereignty is basically just who holds the power. In any system, the sovereign cannot be overruled. The sovereign holds the ultimate power. Now, the sovereign can delegate power. I can grant you powers and allow you to do something. But as the sovereign, I can always resume that power. I can take the power back. And this is how the Americans begin to conceive of the political system. They begin to understand that the people were ultimately sovereign, not any part of government, not a judge, not the judiciary, not a king or a president or a legislative body. The people themselves were always sovereign. There was an article in the Hartford Current, and it put it like this, For there is an original, underived, and incommunicable authority and supremacy in the collective body of the people, to whom all delegated power must submit, and from whom there is no appeal. Now, this was a radical concept, this idea that the people were above the government, that the people were sovereign, that they weren't obligated to absolutely submit to every action a legislature or an executive takes. This was the American Revolution. It was such a radical change in political thought. But by the 1780s, this had become the dominant thinking in American politics. In 1783, an anonymous author published a tract called Rudiments of Law and Government Deduced from the Law of Nature. And it really encapsulates this, this new way of looking at government structure. This is what he wrote. The community are also sole judges in matters of common concern, and however represented, ought to remain the supreme authority and ultimate judicature. 
No sufficient reason can be assigned why the representatives of a country should not be restricted in their power. It ought to be a maxim that their authority extends not to doing wrong. In momentous cases, highly essential to the whole, the whole should be consulted maturely, and they alone should fix the decree. In them, the plenary power rests and abides, which all agree should rest somewhere, and which sycophants and designing men would deceive us into an opinion should be vested in kings or parliaments exclusively of the people. So plenary power resides in the people. Plenary means the final, the absolute source of power. It's not in the government. The people are in charge. You and I are in charge, not the government. Sovereignty doesn't rest in the Congress or the President or the Supreme Court, for goodness sake. Sovereignty is in the people. And this carried over to the Constitution. When you look at the Constitution, you see we the people in large ornate letters on top. Well, why did they do this? Well, when an 18th century British king issued a grant, his name always appeared at the top in the very same fashion. So the framers of the Constitution were merely replacing the king's name with we, the people, signifying the sovereign authority from which the delegation of powers flowed. Now, it's important to understand it's not we, the people, as a big mass. It's actually we, the people of the states, and I'm going to get into that next week. But for this week, we just need to understand that we are the boss. The people are the boss. Government's not the boss of you. We have flipped the American system on its head. We have let government take complete control. It's time to take it back. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and spread the word. And feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10th And don't forget to head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast for free if you haven't already. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week.